Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most noteworthy and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as at Bloomberg.com. Oil prices in free fall today after over the weekend negotiations between Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia, as well as the rest of the OPEC allies, broke down completely. And to quote Julian Lee, who is a Bloomberg opinion columnist and Bloomberg oil strategist in a column uh, over the weekend, he wrote, this is developing into a game of who will blink first between two contestants who've cut off their eyelids. The key question, what can make them come together and actually end this price war that is ravaging oil prices? Ellen Wald is deeply familiar with Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, as well as the entire oil complex, and she joins us now. Ellen Wald, president of Transversal Consulting, a Bloomberg Opinion contributor and friend of this show. Ellen, so glad to have you here. Can you give us a sense of what it will take to bring Saudi Arabia and Russia back to the table to come to some kind of agreement and stave off some of these declines? I'm not sure that there is a real possibility at this point to bring them back to the table because what you're looking at are two powers, two oil powers that have fundamentally different strategies and different goals here. Uh, Russia's goal is Russia, frankly. Russia is looking out for number one. It's looking out for Russia. And then you have Saudi Arabia, which in addition to having its own interests at heart, also cares about OPEC and it cares about its political power within OPEC. That's not something that Russia really cares for. And so Saudi Arabia is saying, look, we said basically at this OPEC meeting, we see a crisis in demand. We need to cut oil production. We're going to do our part, but we need you to also do your part. We're not going it alone anymore because back in December, we essentially saw Saudi Arabia saying, let's all cut, but we're going to cut so much more as an incentive. And Russia is looking at this saying, why should we cut when we can get the Saudis to do it. And the Saudis said, no, we're not going to do that this time. And now you've got a price war and a production war with a very uncertain outcome for Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia can win the production war. They've got more spare capacity. But is there really a winner in a production war where you can't find buyers for that oil? And yeah, that's, that's kind really of, the question. Yeah, Ellen, that's kind of where I wanted to go. I mean, I, I get Russia may have different... Uh, uh, agenda may have a different agenda than OPEC and Saudi Arabia, but they don't benefit from this uh, plunging oil price. So what's kind of their, how much pain can they really take, do you think? Well, right now they've said that they can take pain for six to 10 years, that they're willing to accept prices between you know 25 and, and $30 a barrel, which by the way, they're not really making money at that price point, whereas Saudi Arabia can make money. But they're saying, look, we've got $150 billion uh, sovereign wealth fund, and we're willing to sell those assets to fund our budget for six to 10 years. So whereas on Saudi Arabia's side, they can pump oil for $2.80. So if they're selling it at $25 a barrel, they're still making a profit, whereas Russian companies might not necessarily be making a profit. But is Saudi Arabia really willing to deploy other funds to stave off budgetary issues? And that's a totally different question. And it's not clear that Saudi Arabia is prepared with its sovereign wealth fund to do the same kind of thing that Russia is. Ellen, it doesn't sound like there's an easy resolution to this then. Yeah, I don't. I don't see an easy resolution. I, I I think that that 
if they got together and they started talking, that tensions would definitely come down. And I do think that there is um, continued communication between the two. You've got a, a Russian oil ministry, a Russian energy ministry, that wants to still sell Saudi Arabia nuclear technology and liquefied natural gas. So it's not like all communication is suddenly cut. This isn't you know the Cold War uh, between Saudi Arabia and Russia, but um, it's not going to be resolved tomorrow. Well, that's but, for sure. But so let's let's just sort of extrapolate out. If this is a prolonged uh, issue, tension, uh, locking of heads here over what production ought to be, what is going to be the consequence for the entire oil complex, in particular, the shale patch, which we're seeing right now getting crushed in the high yield bond market, uh, to also the oil majors, which shares uh, have actually been just absolutely devastated today? Yeah, they're, they're going to have a tough time. I don't think that it's a death knell for the shale oil patch because the assets are still there and they're still going to be valuable. And so you are, you're going to have people getting crushed, but you will see more consolidation. You'll see, you know, the players that can, the oil majors, taking on, uh, you know, buying up uh, well-producing, good-producing assets. Um, it won't be fun there, and the area is definitely going to experience an economic uh, contraction, but uh, you're, you can't kill the assets. They're still there. However, places like Venezuela and Iran that are really on the brink are going to have a very hard time of it, particularly because Russia has played such a big role in kind of keeping Venezuela limping along. Ellen Wall, thank you so much for joining us. Ellen Wall is the president of Transversal Consulting. She's also a Bloomberg Opinion contributor, and we always appreciate her commentary and thoughts on the global energy markets with her uh, great experience. Well, with markets in free fall this morning, some might be tempted in the equity markets to maybe dip their toe, try to find some value. Some are going to say, I'm not getting anywhere near this freight train right here. Uh, let's get an informed opinion from Gina Martin-Adam. She's a senior equity strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. She joins us here on our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So, Gina, what do you make of not just today, but maybe the last 10 or you know days or two weeks, mm -hmm. uh, this market activity we've seen in the equities? Yeah, it, you know, I think the market started off at an overbought condition. You have to consider that as the starting point. We were overbought. We were over, likely overconfident. Valuations were well above our modeled estimates for where fair value was. Then, so we started to see that deflation with the coronavirus concerns. And as those spread around the world, obviously, that created a tremendous amount of technical weakness in the markets but did start to create some fundamental value at the very least. Now you've got the destabilizing effect of oil prices adding on to the pressure. So it's almost like this pile on effect that the equity market is experiencing. You know, my sense is you don't normally get a five to 7% decline in a single day on stocks. And usually those are representative of pretty significant panic lows, but you can't eliminate the possibility that there's further downside from here because you're trying to predict human behavior and risk tolerance. And that's just impossible to do. I think a lot of this for investors is going to depend upon your time horizon. If you're thinking, you know, I got to be up and I've got to be up in the next two weeks, your time horizon is probably too short to have a whole lot of confidence. If your time horizon is the next 15 years, I want to look for some value for a 15-year time horizon, then you've got to start thinking about sharpening your pencils and finding some ideas in the equity market because true value has been unlocked here. Um, when we look at things like the oil price impact, for instance, on fundamentals, the energy sector is 3% of the market cap of the S&P 500 now. So a falling oil price 
is not particularly detrimental to the earnings outlook, unless it's accompanied by, you know, a snowball effect of serious economic recession emerging, big declines in new orders growth, employment conditions deteriorating significantly. Those are the things that you want to look at. And if that's the case, then you want to start to price recession. I do say to price recession, we've probably got quite a bit of downside risk still to come. You know, will we have recession or not is still a toss up. Well, that's that's exactly where I wanted to go. What would it look like for us to price in recession? How much worse would it get? Yeah. So our view is to price recession, we probably have to go to around 2665. That's taking an assumption of where the fair value multiple is considering where interest rates are. And we all know that interest rates are extremely accommodative for equity valuations right now but also your average recessionary decline in EPS, which is about 14% on earnings. To get to com- combine those two models and you get a downside risk for the S&P 500 of all the way down to 26.65, which is a bit more than your average recessionary decline. It's a more than 20% decline in stocks from peak trough. We're chatting with Gina Martin-Adams from Bloomberg Intelligence. We have the S&P down 170. That's 5.7%. Uh, the Dow off about 1,500 points here. So, Gina, let's talk technical levels. As you, I know you like to look at charts as well as the fundamentals here. Where are we kind of broad market in terms of support levels yeah. and that, that kind of thing? Well, we busted through the 50% retracement level, okay. <laughs> uh, which, you know, we had been watching that pretty carefully. That's right around 2850, 2860 on the S&P 500. That's where we found stabilization too Fridays ago on that major capitulation low. Um, We certainly didn't even test it last Friday, even though our closing low on Friday was pretty weak. So at this point, I think 2,800 is serving as some sort of round number resistance. It happens to mark a low from several low points over the course of the last year as well. Then you've got to get all the way back into the 2018 correction, which really is dicey technicals, right? I mean, there's just very few consistent levels to lean on back in that 2018 correction. I'm looking at 2800 right now as the level to watch on the index. How concerned are you about a panic among retail investors as they start to see some of the headlines and hear some of the rhetoric out of Wall Street today? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Our ETF team has actually done a lot of analysis on this. And the retail investor is the sort of one solid leg that's been in the equity market, even in August. Remember all the panic activity in the equity market that we experienced in August. We had a couple of 3% down days in the midst of only a 5% correction. It was very odd. Very similarly, this time around, the retail investor does not appear to be manipulating their portfolio. They're not really giving up the ghost on equity. So they are inherently a source of support while the institutional investor has been significantly more volatile and more weak over the last couple of uh, corrections. So I am somewhat concerned if we do get that kind of last bastion of stability capitulating on the on the equity rally, it could create a pretty big downdraft. But so far, that investor seems to be sticking it out. Gina Martin-Adams, thank you so much for being with us. Always illuminating Gina Martin-Adams, chief equity strategist for us here at Bloomberg Intelligence. Insightful uh, to hear about the fact that we're not even pricing in recession yet. Yes. We have another 5% more to go lower in the S&P before we get to the levels that would price that in, according to Gina Martin-Adams, who has been absolutely uh, stunning on this consistently throughout.
Boy, on days like today, when you've got risk assets across the board trading off substantially, some say in a panic mode, it is always good to have our good friend Christina Hooper join us, give us some perspective here. Christina Hooper is Invesco's chief global market strategist. Uh, she joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. So, Christina, thanks so much for joining. I know it's a busy day for you and dealing with clients. Just help us put into perspective what we've seen, not just in the last week or so, but particularly this morning uh, with the news over the weekend about oil and, and the coronavirus. Well, I think of it as a one-two punch. Um, markets have come under significant pressure as a result of the coronavirus outbreak that spread the concerns about the impact on the economy. And then, of course, we had events evolve uh, in oil markets such that we now have a supply shock. Uh, that disagreement uh, between Russia and the rest of OPEC+, Plus, which then led to the Saudis deciding to uh, add to supply. And so this is a scenario where now we're going going to see high yield come under, and we're already seeing high yield come under very significant pressure. Um, the energy sector is coming under very significant pressure. And so that is um, really impacting the environment. And I think what in general we're seeing is a lack of confidence in markets because um, there is uh, there is not a lot of certainty about whether or not we're going to get an appropriate response from governments. Um, to me, this is what is at the heart of this issue, is that what we've seen really since the global financial crisis is strong monetary response and a lackluster fiscal response. And now it's clear that we need a fiscal response. But I think in the memory of the memories of many investors is the fact that TARP narrowly passed, um, that um, we didn't get much in the way of fiscal stimulus, even though that's what we really need to help companies get through um, the next few months. If we don't get, to use your words, an appropriate fiscal response within the next few weeks, say even two months, what will the fallout be like? Well, it will elongate uh, an economic downturn. I mean, really, at this, we're at um, um, essentially a decision point where we could go in a variety of different directions, depending upon certainly the lifespan of uh, the outbreak, um, but more importantly, the response to it, the healthcare response to it, um, the fiscal response to it, and the monetary policy response to it. And so my expectation, my hope, is that we get enough of a fiscal response, but if we don't, it elongates the downturn. Um, and it, in many ways, it could worsen that downturn over time. We can look to China as a model of how to do it right. Um, China actually provided significant stimulus, not just monetary monetary, but fiscal. We were hearing from U.S. companies that were saying they were getting subsidized loans from China to continue to pay employees even though they weren't coming to work. That's the kind of thing we need in this environment to really get through um, because we know that there are a lot of Americans that are very vulnerable, that don't have any significant level of emergency savings. That's not really a concern when things are going well, but it is a concern when things are starting to go poorly and they might actually see hourly wages cut because of all the cancellations that we're seeing, all the change in plans, all the disruption being caused by the outbreak. It's interesting. There's a story on the Bloomberg right now that President Trump's aides are actually drafting economic steps to fight the virus uh, fallout. So maybe we'll even get some news on that potentially uh, today. So we'll have to see how that plays in. So, Christina, as you think about this, what's the correct analysis to do? Is it to kind of look at valuation, try to find names that you know, the business models that you feel are strong, and if you find you know good 
valuation points to maybe put some money to work? Absolutely. I think this is time to be really writing a list and referring to that list as you watch the carnage in markets. Um, Because there are a lot of great names that get beaten down in the short run. Because as we know, um, when there's blood in the water, um, there's just insanity in the minds of investors. And um, stocks might be a voting machine in the short run, but over the longer run, they are a weighing machine. And so there are definitely opportunities out there that are being created by a miss pricing of asset classes. I think of this as the real March Madness. All right. One question that I have is how easy is it to execute at those prices? In other words, how fluid is the financial system right now? We're hearing anecdotally of some difficulties with respect to executing trades. Well, I think that um, for the most part, what I've heard is that trades have gone through smoothly. I think it's, it depends on the volume, um, but it, investors don't need to pile on in all at once. Um, have a clear head about buying as well as selling, uh, but have that list, um, refer to it, and and see the opportunities created by carnage. It's very hard to call a bottom. I know Mark Haynes uh, famously did yeah. that a while back um, peace, on, on this advan- anniversary 12 years ago, um, but it's very hard to do that. Um, But you know when things are getting oversold. And so you can begin uh, to create entry points. Right now, a lot of the selling action really has stemmed from institutional investors. We haven't seen the mass flight uh, when it comes to retailers. Just real quickly, how concerned are you about that? Uh, I'm not too concerned at this point because certainly for those investors that do have, that are advised, um, they're likely to maintain exposure. I think that our industry has done a better and better job of really stressing the importance of taking a long-term view. That for so many, for example, the fourth quarter of 2018 uh, was a blip. Now, it was very disappointing to get those statements, but at the end of the day, it was quickly erased. Christina Hooper, wonderful having you here with us. Thank you so much, and uh, best of luck uh, through this period. Uh, Christina Hooper is Invesco Chief Global Market Strategist joining us here in our interactive broker studios. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. I'm Lisa Abramowitz. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.